Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Assessments, Dave. Assessments. Um, I got nothing funny. For whatever reason, bad day. I have no puns, no misdirection, misbehaviors. So we're going to talk about assessments. Assess, assess my opening. Well, I guess the question I would have is, there's different types of assessment. We want to figure out which type we're going to talk about and then some specifics on that type. Well, well, let's, let's back up for a second. We're going to talk about assessments. Why do people in sales and or leadership care about assessments? We want to see how effective those assessments are. And then based on some behavioral stuff, how people may respond in that environment. Well, I, I think I want to even take a step farther back than that to me. And as you know, I use assessments in my practice. I, I help my clients um, I, I, to either for themselves, right? Know yourself first or when hiring. And I think these are the two different areas where assessments come into play. Um, when hiring to use assessments as a tool in hiring. Let's focus on know yourself if you don't mind. Sure. As a salesperson, why would that be important? Because you want to know if, if that person's going to be effective, effective in that environment, and if so, how effective they can be. That's well, the you, first thing. But you're talking about third person. Yes. But if I'm a salesperson, I'm selling right now. Right. Why would I want to take an assessment myself? What, what value is it to me to take an assessment as the salesperson? Because I want to know how good I am or how better I can be if I can be better or if I cannot be better. That's one thing in particular. So what I hear you saying is it, it'll help reveal areas that could be improved upon. Absolutely. And what are the skills that I already have? And that would, and certainly a sales assessment would do that. So actually, let's, let's take even a further step back. Okay. Because there's really different t- types of assessments. And I don't mean different models for assessing the same thing, right? But in my experience, you can assess behaviors, right? So mm-hmm. behaviors are the way we prefer to act. Mm-hmm. We can assess motivations or mm-hmm. drivers, right? Why? we want to act a certain way when those are even, you know, there's how we prefer to act and why we want to act. But then we could also assess skills, which are, um, and and typically it's soft skills, although obviously you could assess hard skills as well, but, but typically, Oh no, let's, let's, you have hard skills and soft skills to assess. So hard skills, the easiest to define, right? That's a, um, being able to do something specifically, whether it's hit a golf ball, hit a baseball, 
uh, a hammer, a nail, right? Those are all hard skills assessments that you can observe and see specifically. And then there's soft skills, things like communication, which are more nebulous. Um, leadership is a soft skill. Uh, uh, listening, which is a subset of communication is a soft skill, right? There's a host of skills, soft skills that you can assess, customer service, things that are, you know, if I drive a nail, for example, hard skill, can I hit a, a eight penny nail into a two by four with one blow of a hammer, right? Either I can or I can't, it's a yes or a no, it's a binary. Soft skills, do I communicate clearly? Well, that's a lot less uh, obvious. Right. So we have these different types of assessments. Right. So again, my question would be looking at each of those types of assessments. So I get where you would do a sales soft skills, a salesperson to see what skills you have, but why would it be important to know what your behavioral type is? Well, I guess the first thing is that behavior is the way we choose to act. Would that be fair to say? I think that's an excellent description. Okay. Then what I want to know is how I'm going to behave in various situations. So it's essential for me to understand how people behave, and then I can adjust accordingly or appropriately based on the information that's gathered from a behavioral assessment point. I, think, I, I agree with that. I think there's another benefit there. Mm -hmm. We tend to think everybody wants to or should act the way we do. Mm -hmm. My wife's a great example of that. She's always going like, why do people do this stuff? I would never do that. And she's the benchmark. So we are all individually our own benchmark for how the rest of the world should behave. Now, we all know. Right. And we can admit, you and I can admit this, that the only benchmark that should be used for how the rest of the world should behave is me. And the rest of you are doing it wrong. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yes. Oh. If everyone just did what, what I did, we'd be fine. And, and we all feel that way. Right. You know, obviously, we're being a little sarcastic there. But the reality is our people who behave completely differently than we do. You know, some some a little bit. Some a lot, some are diametric. If we know how we prefer to behave, doesn't it follow that we also know how we prefer not to behave? And so that reveals potential sources of conflict. Absolutely. I think it's both and. Yes. Yeah. It, it's a, I have a, a, one of my coaches, uh, you know, she, she loves to say, it's not a but, it's an and. Right. So a lot of people say, yes, but no, it's yes. And they're not mutually exclusive. Right. So, you know, uh, by taking assessments personally, we can also help on if we understand our, our own preferred behaviors. Then we can also know where the potential conflicts lie. Most definitely. I agree. No, I mean, you have an advanced degree in psychology. Mm hmm. What are the various behavioral assessments that you're familiar with? There's DISC. There's probably MBTI. Which stands for? Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Okay. And DISC stands for what? I probably should have asked that as well. 
dominant influence, steadfast or steadiness and conscientious. Right. And so those are the four different, um, uh, I'll, I'll call them values measured. Or I quadrants. Yes. Or quadrants or vectors or right. Um, mm-hmm. Each one of those is different and, and we could get a little bit into that. So uh, Myers-Briggs, how does that differ from DISC? Well, Myers-Briggs breaks it down to 16 types. DISC is four or, or a combination of four. There may be as much as 12 because you can be one of three of each quadrant, but typically it's one of 12. Yeah, actually, um, now this is interesting. So this, and this is where the study of be, uh, um, assessments, behaviors can really, and I don't want to go too in the weeds here because you and I could probably bore the heck out of our listeners on this, right? Because um, I look at Myers-Briggs and I haven't been trained in Myers-Briggs, but I've taken it. And Myers-Briggs also looks at four different qualities and provides a, binary option, right? So either you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. So with four qualities, two options each, that only le- that, that leads 16 different combinations. That is correct. DISC looks at four different qualities. It gives each one a hundred point scale, but you typically uh, in a DISC assessment, you're looking at graduations of five. So even though it's a hundred point scale, it's really only 20 points on each scale. So instead of four to, uh, um, um, four to the second power, it's actually four to the 20th power. I'm not going to do that in my head, but that's a, a lot of different variations there. So a lot more than 16 or 24. You know, mm-hmm. Some of those graduations are, are, are more subtle, but that's what you get with more. So, but, but they're also looking at different types of thing, right? So we, we talked about, you know, disc, uh, you know, looks at how we handle problems. That's what the D handles, right? Mm-hmm. Dominance. Do we try and dominate over a problem or not? Influence, I, which is how we deal with people or, or, or contacts. Mm-hmm. S, steadiness is our pace and consistency in life. And then uh, the C is our conscientiousness, how we handle, um, uh, um, uh, you know, P's and Q's, so sort of thing. You know how how detail oriented we are. Myers Briggs, what are what are those four quadrants we're looking at? Extrovert or introvert? Okay, so how we like to process, uh, how we like to re-energize, I guess, is a really better way to think about that, right? Do we do we yes. get energy from other people, or do we need to isolate ourselves to to sort of recharge? Right, sensing or intuitive. So explain that a little bit because I'm not familiar. For me is if people are intuitive, it's not just what they see or what they hear, what they smell or what they taste. It's, it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. It might be a gut feeling or a person's intuition, if you will. Okay. So when you say sensing or intuitive, are we processing things based on our five senses? That's the sensing. Or are we processing and making determinations based on a, a gut, uh, more emotional, deeper feeling. Okay. I would say that's accurate. The next one is thinking or feeling. Does your head really your heart or is your heart really your head? Interesting that that's different from sensing or intuitive, right? Cause they, they seem analogous, but, but Myers-Briggs is saying, no, those are actually two different things. Interesting. Absolutely. And the last 
perceiver or judger. So that is some people that are perceivers like ambiguity, like to multitask, may not finish one task before the other. And the, the judges are systematic approach to doing things, don't want to, don't like ambiguity. They like to finish something completely before moving, moving on to the next one. And typically deadlines are, are met and crushed. Okay. So we could see this, uh, how people prefer to behave. And then these are just two out of many, 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 right? They're strength finders. Um, uh, that was the one I just came across recently. Um, I am completely blanking on the name. And so there's, there's different assessments that judge behaviors in many different ways, many different paradigms. Um, we mentioned before to know yourself. So, you know, where your potential conflicts come up. Can you think of an example of, of how a conflict might come up on one of these? Well, if I insist on utilizing my type, rather than trying to understand your type, that can lead to a lot of conflict. So for example, if you're a D, I don't ever want to out-D the D. I want to be sunny D or D light, but I don't want to out-D the D because if I out-D the D, I may win the battle, but I'm going to lose the war, for example. Yeah, so let, 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 let's break that down because most of our listeners probably, unless they've, they've done DISC themselves, they don't understand. So when we talk about a D, we're talking about somebody in their DISC profile. And, and let me back up for a second. Most DISC profile tests that people take the vast majority of them will rate you on one or two of those axes. And they think, and they present it as if since your highest quantity in, in whichever axis that might be, and you're talking about the D in this case is the overriding um, personality type you have or behavioral um, practice you have, but each one of those measures a different sort of interaction, right? So we're a combination of all four. So D is how we deal with problems and challenges. Mm-hmm. So a, a typical D is somebody who, high D, I should say, right? so low D is the exact opposite of what I'm about to say, is somebody who uh, wants to uh, tackle problems without getting into the detail. They just want to get them resolved quickly and, and, and move on. They, they, they don't want to really go into the detail of it. Whereas somebody who's a very low D is they're going to research and they really want to understand that problem at a, at a very um, granular level and then resolve it, right? So, so, so the high D will get it done fast, but sloppy. There might be a lot of collateral damage. The, 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 the low D is almost like a brain surgeon who is going to be meticulous in that. So you're saying if some, you don't want to out D a D. What does that mean? Well, if I'm a D... And you're a D. I want to be. I want to be a little bit less than traditional D. I want to be less filling or taste great. So I want to be a sunny D or a D light. So it's a little bit less than a D. Still D like qualities, but not to the point that it overwhelms that D. Because if I overwhelm the D, there's a good chance we're not going to work together. Right. And so again, to, to translate, um, if you want, to, so people who are who are high Ds. They, they tend to be quick to anger. They tend to be, um, you know, over the top trying to dominate. They're, they're trying to dominate. So they're trying to dominate problems, but they also try and dominate other people. If right. you're trying to sell to me, 
then what will end up happening is if you over-D me, I'm not going to like you because you're going to make me feel bad. We go back to our okay, not okay uh, podcast. And all of a sudden, I don't feel okay because I'm trying to be dominant and you're out dominating me. And if you win, I lose and I don't like losing. So I'm going to make you lose by not doing business with you. Absolutely correct on the D's. Absolutely. Okay. So know yourself, know others. Now let's talk about hiring, right? Because both whether it's leadership or sales, right? We're trying to build a team. Why is it important to have, to take assessments when you're building that team? Well, what we're trying to do is make a subjective process more objective. So we can try to figure out what skill sets is required, what type might make sense, and then you, you can do assessments based on that. So the first thing is to determine what are some of the characteristics that are important in that position. And then you can, you can then find people that would fit the criteria for that. We're just trying to make it more objective. It's a very subjective process. We're trying to make it more objective if we can. Right. I mean, let's, again, let's look at what people do without assessments. Without assessments, you sit down and you interview somebody. And what the question we're really asking ourselves. Incoming call from 760. Is, do we like this person? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the interview really comes down to. Do they mm-hmm. fit in? Do I like them? Mm-hmm. Right. And what you're saying is that we could actually, not that that's still not asked, but how many times have you hired somebody that you liked that failed epically, right? You know, I, I often say to people, I said, you know, the, the person you interview is that the same person that showed up, you know, especially in sales, where I found that many salespeople, the only thing they can sell is themselves. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they seem to, 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 to lose. Mm-hmm. I think there's another advantage, especially when you go broader than just sales, but even in sales, right? Because I remember when I first learned this, I thought, well, okay, good salespeople are going to be high eyes, right? Because they, they, they need to be able to deal with people mm-hmm. and deal with them well. And I, I influence, it's all about the experience, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're typically, not always, but they, they, they tend to be extroverts or at least outgoing. Let me rephrase that because they, they may not be true extroverts, but they are outgoing. They engage people socially. They're right. interested in how people uh, experience every aspect of their life. And so people feel like, oh, they care about me. Mm-hmm. And, and they do. I don't want to make it sound like they don't. And so I thought, well, that's what you really want in every salesperson. But the reality is it depends on what you're selling, right? If I'm selling to a bunch of engineers, right, who tend to be high C's and I'm a high I, I may miss the boat because while well, they feel good about talking to me, what their need is, is to have detail. Absolutely. If I'm selling to educators who tend to be high S's, right? They don't like change. Mm-hmm. And so if I try and push them into making a decision quicker, right? so having a sales team that fits your criteria, that's important. Absolutely. In a business team, you need people of different skill sets because different challenges come up. 
I might need a high D when I have that problem that has to get solved right now today. You know, that emergency that comes up, that fire that flares up, the high Ds are great firefighters, right? But if I have a problem that doesn't need immediate resolution, needs to be resolved, but needs to be resolved once correctly, not tomorrow, not today, but whenever, however long it takes, but when it's done, it needs to be fixed. I need a low D, right? Right. So having the different skill sets, the different behavioral, I should say, um, capabilities then gives us the ability to put the right person on the right project based on what those needs are. Absolutely. Good to great. John Collins talks about, do you have the right people on the bus and do you have the right people sitting in the right seat on the bus? Right. And so what I love to say to people is, you know, when you, when you hire people based on values, you, you're getting the right people on the bus, but it's the assessments that allow you to know what seat to put them in. Absolutely. I totally agree. Wow. So to your knowledge, is there any statistical data that talks about hiring teams, putting people into hiring them, putting them on the bus and putting them in the right seats and how that um, correlates to providing assessments to them? Well, there is one that's, that's pretty effective. It's the objective management group. It's a hiring tool that when used has a 93% predictive validity, whether or not people can sell. And, and that's a sales tool. And, and that encompasses a lot, of di- a lot of different areas of assessment. So we talk about assessments as if they're just one, right? It's a behavioral assessment or a motivator or, or driving what drives them, right? Or soft skills or hard skills. But this is actually looking at a, a, a host of, all three, it's sort of a, a hybrid assessment specifically for sales. Correct. I read a study once, I wonder if you could speak to this, that if you hire based solely on um, interviewing, mm-hmm. that you have a 16% probability of a successful hire, one in six chance. When you start adding psychological assessments, and I use that as a uh, catchphrase for all the different areas of assessment, that it goes up to when you have three or more different psychological areas. So that's what we're talking about, you know, behavioral motivators and soft skills, right? Or if it's a management, I would probably substitute soft skills with emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. It actually goes up to 90%. And that correlates exactly with what you just described with your uh, OMG. Oh my God. He's a great salesperson, right? Objective management group. It's really, Oh my God, I hired a great salesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. It's 93%. So 90% or more. That's huge. Absolutely. And what happens is you pay per position so you can screen hundreds or thousands if you want to, because it's only paid by position. And so if we have sales managers out there right now or owners who are, you know, smaller business where they're acting as salesperson, but you have people out there right now who are listening, who are looking uh, to put together a sales team, especially now, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and hopefully the economy starts heating up again, you know, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would they contact you about finding out more about this OMG? They can, con- they can call me 
directly at 858-752-8481 or email me at darren at enrich, E-N-R-I-C-H sales, S-A-L-E-S.com. Okay. So call you or email you and we'll, I know your, your uh, email contact information is in the show notes um, and we'll, we'll make sure your phone number is in there since you don't mind, you just put it out for the entire world to hear. We'll, we'll do that as well. Um, and that's great. And like what I urge people all the time is, and it's, it's funny, you, you had alluded to this is put together a diagram, a, di- a blueprint of what the ideal job candidate looks like. Right? So not just, you know, they're five foot three, you know, and, and can do these. Typically what it looks like is they have these hard skills. That's typically what we're looking for. And then mm-hmm. we typically say, and they have experience in, you know, and then, you know, customer service or accounting or, you know, uh, TIG welding or whatever that job may be. But what we're really looking for, though, is if we were to build a robot or a Android who, uh, and I don't mean a cell phone, an Android, uh, what characteristics would they need to have? What are the behavioral characteristics? What are their driving forces? What motivates them? In other words, people think, for example, salespeople all should be coin operated. And, and actually studies show that very few salespeople are coin operated by that I mean driven by money, which is probably a good thing. Because mm-hmm. if they're driven by money, they're going to do whatever it takes to make money. And that may not be ethical. Mm-hmm. Right. And then obviously what are their soft skills and what do they need and what do they have? Absolutely. And it's helpful to create that list because then there's a must have. There may be some that are want to have, and then there may be some that it's, it's okay if they don't have it, but creating that list is really important. Right. And we, we do this, we have uh, we have a tool we do uh, where we go through and help people create this model from a psychological assessment perspective. Mm-hmm. We go through and figure out what, um, what their uh, job responsibilities are. And then we have their, um, stakeholders, those people who work directly with them. And I don't mean necessarily the people who are in the same department because everybody has internal and external customers. So the internal customers are people within your organization that have the closest relationship with them. Go through and do an assessment, identifying not what who they are as individuals, but who they think this person is that you're looking to hire would be. And we have a methodology for putting that together and creating this blueprint that we then, when you give assessments to job candidates, we match those up against and you find out who's closest. And the nice thing about that is because nobody's going to be perfect, but when you hire somebody, you then know where then you're going to need some help. And you could either um, provide them the assistance they need to get the skills, if they're soft skills that they may not have, or provide them assistance with other people who might be stronger in those areas and sort of rework the way your business works to make sure that everyone's optimal. And if someone wanted to do that, how would they get a hold of you? Great question. Uh, again, they can find me on my webpage, lockedonleadership.com or email me directly, Dave at lockedonleadership.com or give me a call at 619-992-9749. And that number will be in the show notes as well as it's all over my webpage. So, um, but if they're interested in learning more, there's also information on job benchmarking on my webpage. 
any suggestions on building a team from a leadership perspective besides what you covered already? You know, one of the things I heard early on in my career was hire people just like you. That was probably some of the worst advice I ever heard. We want people to fill us in, fill in where we're weak. What are the Mm -hmm. things you love to do? You're good at, you're strong at, um, and then hire people who are strong in the areas you're weak in, because that's the stuff we hate to do typically, and we're not good at it and we're not effective at it. And it sucks the energy. You want to be energy rich in the things you do every single day. And so hire people are going to be energy rich in the areas where you're energy poor. And then you have a high performing team that is firing on all cylinders. That's very helpful. All right. So Darren, what final advice do you have for our listeners who might be looking to put a sales team together? There's a number of things that it's going to analyze. It's going to look at the hunting skills, the closing skills, the qualifying skills, as well as desire, commitment, outlook, responsibility. And then also it'll measure the five hidden weaknesses that impact people's ability to sell. So please reach out to me and we can talk with you and see if it's a good fit to do an assessment. Once again, 92, 93% predictive validity, whether or not people can sell, it's a really powerful weapon. And you can screen thousands of people and you pay per position. Phil. That's, that's amazing. So if you have one position, it's one price. If you have 10 positions, it's another price, irrespective of how many people take. Wow. So that's a great ROI there because the cost of a failed hire is huge. Absolutely. And that's pretty much how I would leave the conversation as we're probably very close to the 30 minute mark. All right. Well, Darren, another great show, and I will see you next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Bye now. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.